Hey, welcome to BSF. My name is Vicki, and we are going to study the second half of Matthew 27 tonight. So let's pray, and we will dive right in. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to listen to you as you uh, speak through your scriptures that you have preserved for us. We pray, Lord, that in this space, your Holy Spirit would be working on our hearts, uh, the, our ears would be open, our eyes would be open, that we might see more clearly your plan to glorify Jesus and shape us, Lord, that we might live more submitted to Him in a way that will bring Jesus glory in the places where you have us. I uh, pray that you would help us to set aside the distractions that we might have on our minds or our hearts for these minutes and help us to be good listeners and listen to what you are teaching us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this weekend I, tack- I tackled the refrigerator. We had had several crazy back-to-back weeks and things, if you have had weeks like that in your refrigerator, things get shoved toward the back, expiration dates get forgotten, and I was making headway. And it seems slow, but you're making progress. But then I discovered something that I didn't realize that was their problem, uh, big sticky messes and that stop you up and uh, make me realize <laughs> I may not have the time and the energy to uh, really deal with this. And so, if you have a, pro- a project like that, uh, maybe you've done one recently, you can and you uncover something uh, big, like I did in my refrigerator, you uh, might work to put out the biggest fires, uh, but eventually run out of time and interest and effort and just uh, close the door and go on to the next thing. Um, you can say, um, like I did with the fridge, uh, well, I made a little headway and I could always come back. Uh, I'll come back. The mess won't run away. Um, so, who hasn't left a project undone or encountered a mess too big for them? We all have, right? Uh, he is humans, we are finite, we're limited in our time, our wisdom, our energy, and we falter. Sometimes we will start out projects well, but we don't follow through. This is so universal that we might think that God is like us. Um, God says uh, in Psalm 50, verse 21, you thought I was altogether too much, or I was altogether together just like you. And we might think that, like us, God must make plans. Maybe God meets unexpected snags. Maybe God shrugs and leaves the mess for another day. Um, However, we have seen in Matthew that God is sending His Son, has sent His Son Jesus to restore what human rebellion and sin have corrupted through Jesus and Jesus alone as Jesus 
told John the Baptist's disciples in Matthew eleven five, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who are, have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news are preached to the poor. And we've also seen as we've done as we've journeyed through Matthew that Jesus forgives sins, he trains his disciples, he feeds the hungry, he interprets God's law. He rebukes hypocritical religious leaders. And so, from the first verse of Matthew, Jesus is presented as God's returning king, his solution for our sin problem. God is invading in Jesus, or in Jesus, God is invading human history. He's invading our lives with the reality of his righteousness, his unchanging character. That, uh, and we, have seen throughout Matthew that God is committed at a high cost to reclaim this whole creation for himself and his son, Jesus, whom he has appointed to rule over all things in righteousness. But if we pick up the story here, if we just enter in Matthew uh, 27, where we have seen uh Jesus uh, is betrayal, or we see we saw that in twenty six. We saw trials, uh, unjust trials first before the religious leaders, and then the Roman leaders. We've seen Jesus mocked, and now we're seeing, uh, and we're going to do the second half, uh, study the second half of Matthew twenty seven. Jesus' crucifixion, death, and burial. If we pick up the story here and we forget about the context, we might be tempted to think that God's restoration plans have hit some unexpected snags. Matthew has brought us to the climactic hours before Jesus' death, uh, his last supper, the betrayal, arrest, unjust trials and condemnation, and now we're coming to the cross and the tomb. From all human expectations, everything seems to be going wrong, and Jesus' Messiahship was surely at risk. How could such a man be uh, Jesus, be God's king? Had God rejected Jesus? Um no, Matthew's narrative, we're going to learn in our, in our, ch- the rest of our chapter 27, um, God's plan is most assuredly at work in Jesus' crucifixion, death, and burial. As Jesus has revealed to his disciples for at least four times in Matthew, the cross has been the central goal of his ministry, purpose, and direction. So open your Bibles with me, and we can, when you get lost in this end section, uh, go to Matthew 27. Uh, verses twenty, verses eighteen and nineteen, and this is when um, Jesus is before he entered Jerusalem. Uh, I'll I'll just read verse uh, seventeen through nineteen. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, "We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law." Okay, we saw that. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged. We saw that. And now we pick up here and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And so, our the end of our chapter 27 is going to encapsulate what Jesus said and crucified. Um, well, he's there will there will also be mocking in that too. Um, so, there's a lot. We're, we're moving on. This is part of uh, Jesus' plan. 
Jesus' death on the cross accomplished the work of redemption the Father planned for him so that many could be restored, all those who trust in him. This is a dark and this is dark and shocking. Um, these are hard things to read and think about. But this, dear friends, is the cost of your sin and mine. And God is committed to his restoration plan. He will not change his mind. He will not change his methods. He will not uh, turn aside from his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so, to us who can rarely, if ever, glimpse the whole picture, um, God's restoration plan can look confusing. We may look around at our world, at our churches, our lives, and we might wonder if God has given up, if he's hit some unexpected snags. But as we study tonight, I think we can be reminded that despite opposition, God will surely finish what he has started. So, open up with me to the second half of Mark, of Matthew 27. We're going to pick up in verse 32. Um, where am I? Okay. Um, we had seen that uh, the Roman governor Pilate had sentenced Jesus to death, and then there's uh, the very cruel... Uh, ironic section in 27 to 31, where the soldiers, Roman soldiers, mock him. And so, our outline today, we're, it will be in three divisions. The first division, we will see King Jesus crucified, uh, 27, 32 to 44. Then we will see the second division, King Jesus suffer and die, uh, verses 45 to 56. And then we will see, uh, in verse, finally, in our third division, 57 to 56, King Jesus's body is buried. And um, just to know, these events are described in three other places in uh, the Gospels, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19. Our focus tonight will be on Matthew's account and his narrative focus. What is Matthew's focus? One dominant theme that we have seen, certainly in cha chapter 26 and chapter 27 up to this point, is Jesus' kingly identity. Is Jesus God's appointed king? Is he the son of God? And that's evocative of God's promise to King David in 2 Samuel 7. Um, and so, in two separate times in Jesus' trial, Jesus was asked who he is uh, in 26 uh, 63, uh, the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, 64, yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then in his Roman trial, he's asked a very similar question um, using language that Pilate would be, Roman would be familiar with, um, not Christ or um, those Son of God uh wording, but are you the king of the Jews? 2711. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied, or literally you have said it. And um, now these claims become the dominant focus uh, as Jesus is mocked and tested. And so, we'll see this immediately. We see this immediately before our passage, very prominently in verses 27 to 31, where the soldier's mockery points to truth. Jesus is king. Matthew's narrative has established that from the very first verse, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Um, but what does Jesus' kingship mean? 
Our passage invites us to consider how our expectations of King Jesus need to be reshaped by God's word. In the ancient world, only defeated kings would be hung on a Roman cross. Thus, to human appearances, Jesus' crucifixion appeared to contradict his claims to be the divinely appointed Davidic king. But Jesus is a different kind of king. And the question is, will you and I learn from that? Will we understand more about who his kingship is and what it means to live under his kingship um, gladly? And Okay, so let's dig into our first division, um, King Jesus is crucified, verse 32 to 44. So, we see going to the cross, Matthew records some details on route to the cross, but he moves us very quickly on this path. Let's read 32 to 44, as they were going out, um, they being the soldiers, look back up in 27, the soldiers who had mocked him, and also includes Jesus, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, uh, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Roman execution was used, especially in Palestine, to deter insurrection, and so it was designed to inflict as much pain and shame as possible while asserting Roman power. And so, making a condemned criminal carry a cross and lead it through, lead them through a long, uh, na- long path to the place of crucifixion, sent a public message. Um, and although Jesus was in perfect health, uh, he was the, the Passover lamb without any blemish, his beatings and previously must have left him incapable of carrying his cross. And so, we see Simon, a likely a Jewish visitor from North Africa, is co-opted into helping uh, him. And this is a good point to notice, however, to pause and notice what Matthew doesn't tell us. Um, Matthew's narrative has been building toward these events, Jesus' crucifixion, his death, and his burial, and yet Matthew is giving us the barest details about Jesus' experience. Matthew, I suggest to you, is not, of course, denying Jesus' physical and emotional suffering, only this is not what he's directing our eyes towards. Matthew's lens is mostly on the crowds, the leaders, the soldiers, those present at Jesus' crucifixion, where their response to Jesus is a window into their hearts. And these seem to represent humanity's failure to receive God's appointed king. And behind this, even though Jesus is not mentioned uh, or is not in the main view and Matthew's not telling us what Jesus is thinking or feeling, um, we see Jesus' steadfast obedience to his Father's will. That human rejection cannot stop Jesus' work. It cannot dethrone him. And yet, simultaneously, Matthew is offering details about Jesus' crucifixion that Jewish readers would have recognized as fulfilling prophecy. And Matthew has given us many references in the past up to this point to help us know that Jesus is indeed fulfilling prophecy, showing God's commitment to his restoration plan. Um, and here, in this very dense way, we don't have time to look at all of them, but I encourage you to get a get a Bible with cross-references and look up the Old Testament scriptures that these verses either uh, uh, quote or allude, or allude to, um, evoke, 
to it's very dense. Um, Matthew doesn't lay everything out for us. He expects readers to recognize and interpret the signs and invites us to read the New Testament with our with the Old Testament in our hands. And I just want to put a plug in for our Bible Study Fellowships uh, study for next year that we're going to be studying people of the promise, the kingdom divided starting in September. Uh, you might say, oh, the Old Testament, oh, that's so long ago. I don't, it's very confusing. This is, the Old Testament is what, where God laid out his plan and where we can really see who Jesus is is through the foreshadowing and the promises that God made about him. Um, So, that was a little shameless plug for the next study. Um, Okay, so after Jesus uh, and with help from Simon ends up at the place of crucifixion, they were outside the city, probably on a main highway. It was a very public place. And perhaps in mockery, Jesus was offered what seems to be a bitter or poisonous sedative beverage. Um, he refused it. Why? Uh, again, Matthew was not giving us Jesus' internal dialogue and his reasoning. Uh, perhaps it was because Jesus was working. Why don't people drink alcohol or sedatives at work? Uh, usually, employers want us to be clear-headed, and it reminded me of the priestly ordinance in Leviticus 10, 9. Uh, Jesus was working, and uh, what was his work? His work was to suffer God's wrath, to be the sacrifice, and yet the author of Hebrews would also tell us to be the priest for that sacrifice. To step one millimeter away from the fullness of that work would disqualify him. And so, we see going on verses 35 to 38, Jesus is crucified and mocked. Um, Jesus being hung on the cross is very understated, and the lens, of course, is on the crucifiers. Uh, Verse 35, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. So, um, everything about this is shameful and humiliating, and it evokes uh, Psalm 69. I hope you got an opportunity to look up some of those references that our lesson gave us. Um, and also, some manuscripts, your Bible may have a, uh, a translator's note. There's a few main manuscripts that show um, in the Divide in the Garments uh, that the words this fulfills the words spoken by the prophet. They divided my pro- my garments among themselves and cast lots for my clothing. Um, Psalm twenty two eighteen. Um, and so then we go on uh, thirty nine to forty four. We're going to see three groups of people mock Jesus, um, specifically targeting his claimed identity as king, as son of God. So, first we have passerbyers taunt him, then Jewish leaders mock him, those on the crosses next to him insulted him. It's interesting that Matthew records no one defending Jesus. Um, humanity's failure is complete. What is done um, and what is has is failed to be done. Um, and as one of our leaders noted in our leaders' discussion, the mockery, uh, what they say actually reveals 
that they rightly understood what Jesus was claiming. They were not confused about who Jesus was claiming to be. Um, And these taunts are very similar to Satan's tempting in Matthew 4. So, if you look at uh, what did they actually say, verse 40, uh, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And in the same way, verse 42, the religious leaders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. Um, So, it's very clear they are not rejecting a misunderstanding. They understood who Jesus was claiming to be, and they are rejecting his uh, identity as he has revealed it. Um, so, he, what they are saying, however, as readers of Matthew's invites us, I suggest to you, uh, to affirm what actually they are alerting, uh, they are alluding to. It's heavily ironic because he is the true temple of God. He can only save others by not saving himself. As he said, those who want to save their life must lose it. And he is the true king and he proves his kingship by submitting to God the Father's plan. And as um, he trusts in God, And they said, let God rescue him. Jesus perfectly trusted, and God would rescue him because Jesus was sinless and faithful. He would not abandon his beloved son to the grave. Jesus is the son of God. Matthew's narrative invites us to affirm he will save. He will come down from the cross, but not in the way or time mockers expected. And so, a principle I think that we can learn from this division is that when Jesus doesn't act now, it doesn't mean he can't or won't. When Jesus doesn't act now, it doesn't mean he can't or won't. And I thought about there are times in baseball when uh, a skilled batter will will just take a ball, um, or in a football team will uh, start running their offense and it seems like they turn it on in the two-minute drill. Or maybe there's a teacher who lets a student wrestle with problems before they intervene and show them um, how how to work a particular problem. Just because in those ways, but only much better and, and more extreme, uh, Jesus, just because Jesus doesn't do something now, it doesn't mean that he can't or won't. And many of us who believe in Jesus look at Jesus on the cross and we can say, yes, it had to be this way. Jesus is the king. And here's why he had to suffer, to not cry out like a lamb led to the slaughter from Isaiah 53. It makes sense to us, but um, your faith and mine is also tested in the present. And so, when our human hearts ask, how 
often ask, how could Jesus be king if he allows this? If he allows war, if he allows suffering, if he allows cancer, if he allows uh, hypocrisy, if he allows conflict in his church, um, how could he be king? How can he be king if he doesn't answer my prayers? Doesn't he know that I'm hurting? And Jesus may even seem like he's losing, that people are leaving the church, that uh, people are abandoning him, they're deconstructing their faith. Uh, your faith and mine is always tested in the here and now, but true faith believes there is a bigger picture than the now. Jesus' kingship conforms to God's expectation, not ours, and God asks us to trust that he will use all these hard things for good when he doesn't, and to trust that when he doesn't act, it doesn't mean he can't or he won't. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love his people. It doesn't mean that he won't rescue them. Um, but like those present at Jesus' crucifixion, the here and now tests our ability to recognize Jesus is king even when it doesn't seem like our expectations are met and trust him even when he doesn't act and we would love him to intervene. Um, what current situation, I wonder, is in your life is testing your faith in King Jesus? In your workplace, in your home, with your health, uh, in your country's government, uh, where is Jesus not acting, not intervening, and it doesn't make sense? And how is your heart responding to that? It's always, uh, or it seems like to me, it's always, I suggest to you, it's a question related to his character. Uh, doesn't he love me? Maybe he isn't strong enough. Is he good? Is he wise? Um, and a prayer of faith is when we're in these places where we're, we're wrestling and we want Jesus to act. Um, to come, Lord Jesus, help us to persevere, increase our faith in your character, help us to understand what it's like to live now in faith of entrusting you, King Jesus. Um, God will surely finish what he has started. God the Father has appointed Jesus as his promised king, and human rejection of his kingship or the fact that his kingship is unexpected to us does not make it untrue. Let's go into our next, our second division, King Jesus Suffers and Dies, uh, verses 45 to 56. And we can, we go to verse 45 and our Matthew shifts our focus away from human response to Jesus on the cross to cre uh, creation's response. And so we see from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. Um, and in that, uh, that, short verse, Matthew has compressed three mysterious hours. By the Roman reckoning of 12 hours of daylight, starting about like at six o'clock, the sixth hour is about midday, noon. And so, I I read this to say that Matthew uh, is describing a literal darkness, like the plague of Egypt, like God turned off the sun. Um, how did that happen? I do not know. Um, we are not told. Matthew doesn't let us into that. Um, but I suggest to you that this darkness was real, but it was also symbolic. In Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and also in Revelation, cataclysmic darkness is connected with God's judgment on evil. Jesus has even spoken about that in Matthew 24, verse 29. 
God's just wrath on sin and rebellion in these three hours was being mysteriously poured out on Jesus, his perfect son, the sacrificial lamb of God. As infinite God, Jesus could suffer for an infinite number of sins. And this was the agony of the cross. Jesus, son of God, who was always known from eternity past, intimate relationship with God the Father, is now mysteriously separated from him and bearing his just wrath on sin. And this darkness also encompasses Jesus. It is as it is as if the entire cesspool of human sin from the beginning of the world was upended on him. He became sin, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for us so that we might receive his righteousness. And after three hours of this incomprehensible suffering, Matthew tells us that Jesus cried out, uh, verse uh, 46, about the ninth hour, so that'd be about three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and it seems significant that Jesus calls God, God, not Father, and uh, that he is quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. As Jesus was faithfully bearing our sin, he never cursed God. He never quit. And we see in verse 47 to 49, some are mishearing Jesus as calling to Elijah, which may sound similar, the language, um, and he's offered a wine vinegar, uh, we, there's a lot we could talk about in that, but just briefly, God's work cannot be thwarted by inept people, um, is misunderstanding people or wicked people. God's work also doesn't need to be understood by us in order to be done. And we see in the last, uh, in verse 50, uh, Jesus cried out again and gave up his spirit. And we just, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. As one of our leaders noted, crucified people near death cannot call out loudly. It just physically is not possible. Um, but by the loud voice, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is still in control. His life was not taken from him. He gave up his life and died and trusted God the Father to raise him from the dead. No one could take Jesus' life from him. He gave it as a ransom. Um, as he said, if we look back in Matthew 20, verse 28, uh, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as he told uh, his disciples. Uh, and then we see verse 51 to 56, creation's response to Jesus' death. There are many Old Testament evocations, and I encourage you to look at your cross-references and uh, follow up and meditate on those. Um, they are sh uh, showing this cataclysmic uh, 
signs of God's of that day, the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment, the day of his deliverance. Um, the earth responded and quaked, the temple responded, and the curtain into the most holy place, the most sacred place uh, in the Jewish temple was torn from top to bottom. And we see death itself was shaken. We have a glimpse of resurrection um, in verse 52. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people or saints who had died were raised to life. And so, we see glimpses here of both God's judgment against sin uh, and warnings uh, for those who are rebelling against God, but also God's deliverance of the faithful and as an encouragement for those uh, who are faithful to keep holding on and persevering. And then in verses 54 to 56, at the end of this uh, this division, we see another human response which seems the direct contrast to the mockery from earlier on uh, of Jesus on the cross, we see that some saw and responded consistent with belief, the centurion, his guards, and uh, some women. So, reading in verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and saw and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. While Matthew does not confirm for us, and we might have questions, did this centurion have saving, saving faith? Did he really understand who Jesus was? It seems like... Uh, he, his words answer the question that these two chapters, 26 and 27, have been repeatedly asking. Is Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Yes, Jesus is. And like with the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, we can see here that God opens blind eyes to see Jesus and to respond positively. Uh, likely, this centurion had been actively involved in mocking Jesus, in persecuting him, um, in causing his death and suffering. And this and yet, God's mercy was poured out on him as a Gentile, the unlikeliest of people, one of his son's executors. And similarly, uh, the, the women who followed from Galilee, the unlikeliest, uh, the, in, culturally speaking, those who had little significance, um, they proved faithful among Jesus' followers. Okay, a principle I think that we can learn from this is that this division is that Jesus willingly gave his life that we could live. Jesus willingly gave his life that we could live. Uh, then the second Star Wars movie, that would be episode f- five, I should have said, <laughs> this, the, original tr- the original trilogy, um, The Empire Strikes Back. It begins with uh, the, one of the main characters, Luke Skywalker, in great peril. They're on uh, an ice planet named Hoth, and um, he is injured by an attack of a snow monster. Uh, and he's alone outside in the bitter cold. Night is falling. When with the night comes a coldness that no human can survive without shelter. And Luke's friend Han Solo notices that Luke 
is lost, that he hasn't come in from his patrol. And Han leaves the warmth and safety um, of the the base uh, to enter the cold and darkness on a quest to rescue Luke. And he's riding a, a creature called the Tauntaun, um, and he finds Luke. And uh, the Tauntaun is, dies because of the cold. Han slices open the Tauntaun and puts Luke inside. Luke is saved only through the death of that Tauntaun while Han is making a shelter. He had to be enveloped in its warmth, in its insides, in its blood. And uh, we see that Han stays with Luke uh, until they are rescued. Sorry, that was a spoiler alert, but it does, I'm assuming... Everyone who wanted to watch the movie has already gotten a chance to do that. Um, this is an older movie, um, and so this is an analogy. Obviously, it doesn't. There's not. It's not perfect, but um, we more than Luke. Not just like Luke, but more than Luke are lost, and we're injured. We're facing imminent death spiritually and physically, and the odds of our survival are far worse than what R2-D2 predicts for Luke 725 to 1. Uh, Jesus is better than Han Solo. He left safety and security to, to rescue us. Jesus found us, and better than the Tauntaun, who accidentally died. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, laid down His own life, gave His own life that we might find refuge inside. And we, like Luke, can't even get inside without Jesus seeking us out, opening our eyes, and giving us His gift of faith. The night is falling fast. Jesus says uh, He is coming soon. God's wrath on sin is near. How have you responded to the sacrifice of Jesus, to his willing sacrifice to give his life that you might have life? Have you sought the refuge that is only available in his life-giving blood? You cannot face God's just wrath on your own apart from Jesus and live. Perhaps, I hope this is the case, Jesus, even now, as you, as you study this chapter in the book of Matthew, is raising you to new life, um, helping you to believe that He is God's appointed King and Messiah, that He died uh, to, um, to abolish your sin, to bear it, take it on Himself, and, uh, and have it be killed on the cross, and f- He might And if that's the case, He is freeing you to new life that you can live for Him. And if you have trusted in Jesus, how are you responding to Him in that? How are you living that out today? How is God training you to approach His throne with confidence to seek the intimate fellowship with Him as the curtain has been torn? That we, there is no more barrier for those in Christ. Um, we can boldly approach God. Um, and are you finding as a new creation, someone covered in the blood of Christ, uh, in having new life, are you finding the lies of this world, the mockery of this world, having less and less hold on your heart and mind as the truth of Jesus, as Jesus himself shakes and exposes them? God will surely finish what he has started. His judgment on sin is inescapable. It is coming. Um, The only way out is through receiving the sacrifice 
the life sacrifice of Jesus. For those seeking refuge in Jesus, He will not fail to give us life eternal and abundant, even now. Okay, let's go on to our last division. It's a it's a short division, but very important. Um, verses 57 to, uh, to 66, King Jesus' body is buried. Jesus' burial is so important. Uh, for Jesus' resurrection, for him coming back to life to mean anything at all, Jesus must have been truly dead. And so, we see this, uh, this division in two parts, uh, verses 57 to 61, positive responses to Jesus, even in his death, and there are two of those, uh, Jesus' disciples, those closest to him in life, those who have followed him around and watched him do miracles, even and especially those who saw him glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, they have fled. And Jesus' death, however, gives others an opportunity to honor him, to prove faithful. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for Jesus' body, and then he buries his body in uh, his own tomb. Given the political climate, this was likely a huge risk uh, to step forward for Jesus, but note the tenderness of Joseph's actions. Uh, verse. Uh, let's read 59 and 60. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. It seems that he gave Jesus as much honor as possible, and I imagine for someone who is rich enough to own their own tomb, he could have farmed that work out. He could have had a servant do this to touch a dead body, to wrap it. Um, And yet, it seems, at least based on Matthew's narrative, that Joseph did that himself. Um, And the stone rolled in front suggests that Joseph probably is not expecting Jesus to rise, even though Jesus said that he would in 2019. But he is honoring Jesus. Um, And then we're told in just one short verse, uh, verse 61, we have two eyewitnesses, uh, two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, um, they are watching. And in Jewish law, two witnesses confirm testimony. So, there are three witnesses to confirm that Jesus was buried. Um, that's very important in Jewish law. And so, now we see the enemy's response, verses uh, 62 to 66, uh, Jewish leaders prompt Pilate to seal the tomb. Um, interestingly, they seem to recall Jesus' words more than his disciples. Did they think that they could thwart God's plan? Did they not believe? In their minds, God had not saved Jesus. God would not save Jesus, but they feared the appearance of Jesus' resurrection. Ironically, in God's economy, Their efforts to suppress rumors about Jesus, having guards with a seal on the tomb, provides further evidence of his resurrection. Principle I think that we can learn from this third division is that Jesus finishes what he starts. Jesus finishes what he starts. In Matthew 1, 21, Jesus is introduced to us as the one who will save his people from their sins. And we saw, we see then in verse uh, 27, 50, Jesus give up his life as that ransom. It is his burial that confirms that Jesus is that true Passover lamb who has died. Um, 
His death was efficient to take away the sins of the world. Uh, And in a mysterious way, God laid on Jesus, who had no sin, the weight and guilt and shame and death for all the sins of all the people who would believe in him, not generally general sins, but specific sins, the little from the littlest, littlest snide remark to the darkest, most secret of secret that you have and you have never dared whisper to anyone. And the larger backdrop of what the Passover pointed to is the Exodus. Jesus is the one whose blood covers those who trust in him. He leads us out of our slavery to sin and death. And since this day, when Jesus is on the cross and buried, it is finished, as he says in John. Uh, Jesus' payment has been made. To trust in Jesus means that all of your sin has been buried with him, not in part, but the whole, as the, the, as the song, It Is Well With My Soul, uh, tells us that all of your sin, not in part, but in whole, has been nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more, and that our sin has been buried in that tomb with Jesus. And in three days, when Jesus rises, and we will study that next week, the sins that you and I, those of us who have trusted in Jesus, that he bore on that cross, that he carried into that tomb, they stay there. He does. He rises, but they never rise. Um, we are freed from them. And so, f- uh, for Jesus to redeem us, to bring us to life, he took away all that sin and replaced it with life. Jesus finishes what he starts. Are you feeling guilt and shame of past sin? Do you worry that there are things in your life that God won't forgive you? Uh, If you believe in Jesus, it is finished. Those sins have been buried in the tomb. And uh, 1 John 1 9, I believe, invites us to confess those sins and turn and know that He will forgive us sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to encourage us to believe at a personal level that Jesus died for my sin. I encourage you this week to take time in prayer and name those sins that Jesus bore on that cross, that he carried into that tomb in his body, that have stayed in that tomb in Palestine and never will rise up again. How will you cooperate with Jesus as he completes the good work he has begun in you? If you have trusted in him, you belong to him, and he has established life for you. Uh, what does that life look like? How are you serving him in the places where he calls you, in your family, in your church, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? And How is he helping you to trust that he is king, despite all appearances, that he hasn't shrugged his shoulders and uh, walked away, closed the door, and will come back another day, that he is in control and victorious, that all the hard things in your life are there even under his sovereign control, and that he is worthy of our trust 
that He will make all those things right. Uh, and He will deliver you, not only from personal your personal sins, but all the sins that have been sinned against you, all the times that you have been hurt by others, that He will deliver. When you fail to follow Jesus, because or you make mistakes, uh, because you and I will, as uh, before, as we journey through this life, will you pray that Jesus helps you to come to Him quickly for, for the forgiveness and cleansing that He has won for you at the cross? Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your kindness to have such a son, have such a redemption, have such a life that you call us to in Christ. We are not worthy of your kindness. And Father, we pray that you would impress deeper in our hearts your character, your loving kindness, your compassion, your mercy. Give us greater love for your Son, greater faith in His kingship, and help us to follow Him faithfully even this week. We pray this in His name. Amen.